0: Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we'll be discussing healthy identity development, heteronormativity, and we're here with Jennifer Bryan, a psychologist and author of the book From the Dress-Up Corner to the Senior Prom, Navigating Gender and Sexual Diversity in Pre-K Through Twelve Schools. This episode is actually going to be guest-hosted by our wonderfully talented faculty member Rick Weisbord, who's also the leader of the Making Care and Common Project and senior lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of
1: Education. Take it away, Rick. Jennifer, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, you're talking about an issue that too few of us are talking about. And I know you've been doing it for a number of years now with a lot of wisdom and insight. So we just feel very lucky um, to have you be um, engaged in this conversation.
0: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Let me just start with asking you a big question, which is in this world of uh, we live in now where we are trying to be more inclusive, think about kids with different sexual orientations, different gender identities as very much part, a central part of our community. You know, you're trying to be, take people down a pretty long road here. What are the challenges that you are encountering in this work? Uh, how do those challenges differ in different parts of the country? I'd just love to hear your thoughts about that.
0: Okay. Well, I, I think that um, teachers and parents are, are working hard to do right by their kids, and so I try and join with that spirit uh, and help pre-K through 12 educators understand uh, the pervasiveness of heteronormativity, which is you know, an, a, a weighty academic term, but it's essentially uh, the way we expect feminine uh, women and masculine men to form the ideal pair. And those are very grown up examples, but it starts really early in school. And uh, historically, schools have been heteronormative institutions from everything in the curriculum to programs to athletics to traditions. And so if we are going to encourage healthy identity development, which is what educators want, it's what parents want, then we really have to grapple with the degree to which heteronormativity is not an inclusive framework for many, many students.
1: So could you say a little more, I mean, you know, for some folks in the audience who may not be as uh, familiar with the vocabulary, what heteronormativity is and how it plays out or how it expresses itself in, in ways that can make um, children who are not heterosexual um, feel uncomfortable, be uncomfortable?
0: Well, one of the, my favorite teaching tools is uh, a series of clips from the um, Disney movies. And if you want to demonstrate to a group of teachers or a group of kids what heteronormativity is, you show them those clips because uh, all of the, the women or girls, uh, even the female animals, um, have a particular look. They're very feminine. They're very thin. They've got long hair. All the men or the boys are... Are buff and uh, you know masculine, uh, and so the end of all those movies—that's the pair that kisses. You know, Aladdin and Jasmine spin off on the magic carpet, and um, that kind of characterizes the degree to which, even in 2015, there's still these very um, kind of. Uh, uh, oppressive rules about who boys are supposed to be and who girls are supposed to be and who's ultimately supposed to end up in a relationship and what families look like. So it starts in the dress-up corner. That's really where the name of my book comes from. I say from the dress-up corner to the senior prom because it really is, that's the narrative, that's the through line. And we see very early kids um, being impacted by these gender role stereotypes, which quickly, uh, you know, morph into stereotypes about sexuality as well. So they're really connected with each other. And it's harder sometimes with the uh, the pre-K, the early childhood, the elementary years, um, for parents, I think, and teachers to feel comfortable about those being educational issues. And yet, All you have to do is ask a second grade teacher about how these issues play out on a daily basis, and she will tell you, he will tell you that uh, it really, it rules recess, it rules lunchtime, uh, it rules so many ways the kids are thinking about who they can be in the world.
1: So you're sort of getting at a question that I wanted to ask you. I know this is um, a bit of a tough question, but I think... I'm imagining that you spend a lot of time talking to kids who are LGBTQIA students, um, students who have different gender identities. Can you like travel for a minute, take us into some of the interior experience of some of these students and like what, what is, when, when they are uh, when they're bombarded with these heteronormative images, um, what are some of their reactions or what are some of the things that concern you?
0: Well, the the first job of parenting and and really of uh, being a teacher is to help uh, the child see themselves. So we mirror, we mirror all the time, and we're trying to mirror back to them who they are. And if uh, it doesn't take much to to walk down the toy aisle at Target and uh, get the message that you know there's a boys toys aisle and a girls toys aisle and so that's just one little example of kind of looking out at the world and thinking hmm I don't I don't see myself and um the same with those Disney kiss clips you know gosh even at a young age kids are imagining that's what they do they they imagine who will I be uh as a grown-up and they can't really see themselves in those clips. They can't probably articulate it that well at a very young age. So if teachers can't see those students as well, then there's this fundamental um, gap in affirming one's natural, wonderful identity. Um, So I would say, though, that one of the shifts for me in doing this work for about 15 years, I thought when I started that it really was gonna be about the gender-fluid kids and the, and the gay kids. And what has become so clear to me, and this is what I try to convey to educators and parents, is this is about all the kids. So the LGBTQ um, acronym, I think has now become problematic in the sense that it leaves out everybody else and so I'm trying to help this paradigm shift where if we're going to talk about gender we're going to talk about everybody's gender identity development because you don't have to be a gender fluid kid to be impacted by those gender role stereotypes and you don't have to be a gay kid to be impacted by homophobia. So that's the shift. I'm really trying to help move the conversation into what I call gender and sexuality diversity instead of LGBTQ because it's an inclusive framework. It it recognizes that every single person in a school, the kids, the teachers, the families, Everyone has a biological sex. Everyone has a gender identity. Everyone has a sexuality. They bring them to school every day. And the idea that this would only be important to the development of those kids who are perceived as quote unquote different when they're really just part of a spectrum, um, that's problematic. And so I'm trying to help people shift to a broader construct for engaging
1: with these issues. Yeah, this is all very helpful. Thank you, so you don't just talk the talk about this, you're out there walking the walk, you're out there <laughs> doing work with schools and doing trainings with teachers. I'm wondering if you could talk about those trainings some and what their purpose is and what the key messages are.
0: Well, I think in order to uh, for a school community to be able to engage in this conversation with each other and w- with their students, there has to be a shared uh, f- shared conceptual frame of reference and a sh- common and accurate language. And everything is in such flux right now, you know what what a term meant twenty years ago is not what it means today. so that's that's step one is let's let's get a common framework in place and I use this gender and sexuality diversity and then let's Let's look at all these words and terms. What do they actually mean and how do you use them? And teachers have not gotten the kind of training that they need to have, you know, terms like queer or gender fluid or transgender or, uh, you know, lesbian or gay roll off their tongues uh, matter-of-factly in a classroom setting. We've really historically discouraged that. And yet, if we understand these as educational issues that have a huge impact on healthy identity development, then we have to equip our teachers with that language and help them uh, help them learn how to use it. So that's really the other part of the trainings is after providing this framework is to then look at practice Um
1: so, are you, are you working with teachers who are inclined already to, I mean, that in a sense have embraced your view, your view of this? Um, or are you also trying to move teachers who may be very heteronormative and may have all kinds of uh, biases, I- explicit biases and misconceptions? Mm-hmm. But, you know.
0: Well, we all have our biases. Yeah, and no, that's why I said explicit. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we all
1: have our implicit biases. But if, teachers right. who would, you know, just say to you flat out, "I don't really believe in the work you're doing," or, I, um, or you know, "I'm d- very uncomfortable with that." Yeah. That
0: what they will say. You know, this is uncomfortable uh, for me. But they believe uh, in the work. When I present, I have the this new diagram of sex, gender, and sexuality that is, you know, spectrums. Uh, Multiple spectrums that try and capture this notion of our diversity, our variation on these parts of who we are. And I have yet to have a teacher look at it and say, you know, that doesn't really make sense in terms of who my students are. So it's trying to help teachers move and educators of every stripe move away from saying something like, well, you know, he's really not a he's not a typical boy. Um, that's telling us who he's not. And that's really based on this box, discrete boxes of identity, the binary. You're, you're either a boy or a girl. And so if, if teachers can embrace the notion of a spectrum, it's much easier to see kids as being where they are and who they are. Yes, for some teachers, this is an uncomfortable shift, but they've all got students who don't fit into the boxes, and they want a way... To understand who they are instead of feeling like, well, this kid is different and so therefore I need to protect her or protect him versus this is one more of my gendered students or one more of my students with a sexual identity and we're going to work with it as we work with it across the class. I'm not saying those kids don't need particular attention, but I think that's where the bias of Teachers. Um, it 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 moves people. The students move people, um, and families move people. So uh, I I experience teachers getting this, and I, I feel hopeful about that
1: well that's wonderful to hear
0: um be- well because you know i was reading in the ed magazine uh most recent issue the interview with Margot uh sternstrom the founder of facing history and ourselves and i loved this quote uh from her she says the questions are complex they're not dangerous it's when you don't raise them that danger arises and she says the kids can handle the ambiguity so you know, if that kid comes into school and wants to talk with the teacher, he says, "Gosh, you know, did you hear about that that uh, football player who punched his wife in the elevator? Or did you hear about the the riots, you know, in Baltimore? or did you what do you think about gay marriage the Supreme Court is ruling that I think teachers worry those are are dangerous questions, but they're not. I mean, we want kids to be curious about the world and we're trying to give them you know we talk about our 21st century skills um this is a 21st century skill how to understand yourself how to understand others how to understand community
1: yeah so i want to ask one final question but before but before we get there um and you know i totally agree with the direction you're going i it it does seem like there are risks to kids or dangers to kids in the sense that uh, their parents may have very different beliefs about this um, that other their friends maybe have explicit biases and discomforts and i wondered if you in your work you're also helping teachers navigate those kinds of things Um, Helping kids manage those risks or dangers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, one way to make school a safer place for those kids is to not have the focus be exclusively on them. Are you going to read Jacob's new dress because you have a gender-fluid child in your classroom? You're going to read it. Because all of the students in your classroom are affected by the gender role stereotype. And I, I, I got to read that book to a kindergarten class uh, last week in Seattle. And um, they were so wise. Because at the end, I asked, now, how if Christopher were in your class, Christopher's the boy in the story who keeps giving Jacob a hard time for wearing the dress, how would you help um, Christopher with you know this and this kindergartner said well i'd tell him about the three c's of caring because he's really not caring for himself he's really not caring for others and he's really not caring for his community and he put a little c over his heart and i thought i wonder if this is a making caring common school uh it was it was poignant and i think that that kind of Fostering of relational capacity, you know. I've had three careers in my life. I was a high school teacher. I'm a psychologist and uh, a consultant. And the through line for all of those, it's about the relational. It's about the relationships. And so, uh, middle school kids, high school kids, they want to be able to uh, relate. You know, we we do those caring for self, other, and community back in kindergarten with such intentionality. And it kind of falls off in middle school, which is, or high school, which is why your project is so important because it's reminding us that, you know, if you don't have uh, any kind of uh, social safety or trust, there's not a lot of learning, use- useful learning, that can happen. And uh, so I'm hopeful uh, that we will continue to see uh, the, the worthiness of explicitly addressing these issues, not just as social, emotional issues, but also as, you know, they need our best critical thinking I showed a map to third graders, fifth graders, eighth graders last week about same-sex marriage and just represented how each state felt. They had fabulous questions about that. And it wasn't so much about, do you agree, do you disagree? It was like, who gives you a marriage license? And who decides? So I hope we can do both the the socio emotional learning and also give kids uh, tools to think critically about uh, these complicated issues.
1: So we only have uh, 30 seconds left or a minute left but is, is are there one is there sort of one takeaway or a couple quick takeaways that you would like to Leave people leave our audience members with and thank you for the shout out for making good. Yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> absolutely.
0: That's part of why um, yeah, I'm a fan and and I'm uh, you know that that interview with uh, Facing history and ourselves is so timely it, that organization was formed back in the 70s Fabulous to, organization. To hel- yeah, yeah to help us face things and um, And so I think that is, there are two takeaways. One is to shift the focus uh, and make a broad framework for understanding all students. These are developmental issues for every single student, healthy gender identity, healthy sexual identity, and move away from just talking about the LGBT kids. Yes, they need uh, attention one way to help them is to broaden this and normalize it as an issue for everyone there's that and then this the other is you know these this is not dangerous these topics are not dangerous avoiding them is what leads to um you know heartache pain violence we're we're seeing now that some of that homophobic middle school bullying is a precursor to some of the sexual um, violence on college campuses so not only isn't it dangerous; it's so necessary. And I don't think anybody is better equipped than pre-K through 12 teachers to do a thoughtful job of addressing these in developmentally appropriate ways and pedagogically effective ways. So I'm a fan of education uh, stepping in and, and doing more around these issues.
1: Well, thank you so much for this conversation, and thank you so much for the for the terrific work you do.
0: Oh, thank you, Rick. It's pleasure.